Welcome back to the program. We live in a culture that is about sharing. First, we shared music. Then we shared our likes and dislikes on Facebook, our photos on Instagram, our dating preferences on Tinder. And now we share our cars, our houses, essentially our lives. Amidst all of this has been our ongoing and growing appreciation of or love of memoir and of personal stories. Where once fiction provided a place to explore moral and social choices, today memoir seems to fill that void. One of those people who seemingly got us to this point is my guest today, Mary Carr. Mary Carr is the author of three award-winning and best-selling memoirs, The Liars Club, Cherry, and Lit. She was a National Book Critics Circle Award finalist, a Guggenheim Fellow in Poetry, and she's the Peck Professor of Literature at Syracuse University. It is my pleasure to welcome Mary Carr back to this program to talk about her newest book, The Art of Memoir. Mary, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. A delight to have you here. Is there some relationship, as, as you see it today, between our, our culture of sharing, our, our wanting to share virtually everything, with our love of and appreciation of memoir today? Uh, well, it, uh, if you're talking about social media, no. I think I've had a lot of questions. I think a lot of people think of social media as being related. But social media is about the moment and, and it's meant to last for a moment. It's frankly, it's shallow. It's uh, 140 characters. You know, it's, it's a, a flash photograph of you showing your boobs at a party. Right. Um, for me, memoir is about a deeper thing. If, if, uh, you know, the, the most dominant medium of, of our day, of course, is film or television, uh, you know, visual, those are the visual media but memoir is about the interior psychological life. You know, it's about it's about the shape of yourself and what the kind of whatever bone you're worrying at that moment. So I, I say it's not so much apples and oranges as it is, you know, a sunflower seed versus a steak. I was thinking about the the, the latter part of that in in reading the art of memoir. And wondering if, in fact, it really requires an understanding and an appreciation of our inner lives in order to really deal with and, and process memoir. Could, it, could there have been memoir before Freud, in other words? I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, I think one of the dominant forces that ha, has driven us into this is just the idea, which it's hard to um, imagine a time when we didn't have a sense of the unconscious or that our past or our memories were in fact shoving us around, you know, that, that you form habits of thought and habits of viewing the world, you know, when you're little or over a, even the, even the best childhood has troubled patches in it. Um, so the idea that, that the inner life, the life lived inside the scene, uh, I mean, especially if you're a thoughtful or interior kind of person. You know, I, I I wanted to be a poet when I was five years old. I mean, just stamp weirdo on my forehead, you know. I think if you're a, a little bit outsider, uh, I, I think for most poets, you know, they live about 90% of the world in their heads. And But I also think that that we don't take, none of us really takes in the world in a kind of clear, pure way so much as we beam it from our eyeballs. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk to historians of, about events that took place, you know, 100 plus years ago or more, whatever it might be, 
And and you ask them, you know, about a particular historical character. Were they self-aware? Did they understand, you know, the context of what they were doing? What, whatever it might be. And and the bottom line is that they really didn't, because the idea of of that kind of interior life just didn't exist for them. Right. Right. I mean, there there was an idea, and and uh, you see it. There's a wonderful book called Lincoln's Melancholy about the interior life. You know, I think depressives are naturally interior kinds of folks. So, I mean, I think I think in the 19th century, there was the idea that somebody who was melancholy, like, say, Lincoln, who suffered a horrible depression, both as a young man and after his son's death, two horrible, dep- well, several, and was suicidal. He had friends who came and watched him and lived with him. They weren't seen as weirdos. They were seen as like serious people. They were seen as serious thinkers. Whereas now, if you're not grinning, you know, like a porn star and pulling <laughs> your skirt up, you're seen as being, you know, too morbid for uh, our chirpy kind of American culture. But I think memoir is for those, you know, kind of interior type people, people whose inner lives are very large and people, frankly, people would be adjudged hypersensitive probably, um, by a lot of by a lot of other folks but it you know all of us all of us know that that um all of us have those moments in our lives when we look back and nothing dramatic was happening on the surface but if you're in the eighth grade and you're walking into the school cafeteria and all the cute girls won't let you sit at their table that's a big event for you you know that has uh you have a lot of feeling attached to that and it makes it a very it might make it is a very simple quotidian scene, very dramatic in terms of your inner experience of it. So I, I guess in a way, memoir is about, has come out of that idea that we have to honor those ways that were yanked around by our interior humors, what would have been called the humors maybe in the 19th century. It's also in part, I mean, to expand that, and as you talk about, what we remember, that scene in the cafeteria, that see that incident in high school can be the kind of thing that, that really that memory f- sticks with us and forms really the, the focus of so much of our lives sometimes. Right. So, I, I mean, you know, people who, who write memoir and make things up and try to drum up big, exciting lives for themselves, to me, are kind of missing the point. It's often about the small moments, as we all know. You know, that it's, it's a look that your, your father shot across the dinner table at you when you said uh, you weren't going to go into engineering, you know, or, or whatever. It, it, it might be a small moment, but the chasm of it inside you so, you know, it's not about it's not about chronicling external life. And so I, th- I think you're right with your first question that if you're not the kind of person who questions yourself or questions your own mind or questions if you're remembering something right, you probably shouldn't be writing a memoir. How has the appreciation and the context of memoir changed even in the period of time you've been doing and I mean it's been 20 years since since the Liars Club how has our appreciation and understanding of the context of memoir changed if at all in that time well I I think as fiction has become more hyper intellectual or more dystopic or more science fictiony and weird um, people who hunger for the real if you if you want to look inside a family life I mean, uh, you, you might turn to reading a lot of 
family memoirs, you know, if you, you know, if like me, I think my love of the form came, I was just a weird, lonely child. I was just a little oddball and from a less than perfect family. You know, I always say a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. So, um, I, I think I read memoirs because I wanted to know what other people's lives were like or how to become a writer or something like that. So, Oddly, though, it's still seen as this incredibly, it's not really, you know, there's not a Pulitzer Prize in memoir. You know, there's not, uh, uh, this is the first year that a, that a Nobel Prize has been given to a nonfiction writer at all uh, who wasn't, you know, working in a, in a sort of, you know, blessed form. I mean, memoir is still seen as, it's a trailer park genre, you know, I have to admit. It's not, uh, you know, critics, a lot of the reviews of the art of memoir had less to do with the book than it was like, how dare they, you know, write about this stuff. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of, uh, my friend Philip Gorebich, you know, the great journalist, sure. I think uh, likened it to the way people used to talk about photography. You know, they, they didn't see it as an art at, at all. Uh, in in the middle of the last century, it began to gain some ascendancy. But so I sort of see memoirs being like that right now. It's still seen as like this kind of because everybody's got a life, um, everybody's got a story. You know, it's uh, it's not as seen as artful as a novel or short story, and and rightly so. I think those are more complicated art forms. There's no question that's true. Is there, to, to, your, to your point, is there some kind of a nexus between memoir writing and journalism? Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes in that. I think a memoirist should hold herself to the truth as, so far as she can figure it out. So I, th- I think when people say, oh, there's a very wiggly line between truth and, and untruth, no, there's not. <laughs> I mean, it is true that it is true that memory and imagination inform each other. But just if a journalist started making things up to make a better story, that's sort of wrong. Like, don't do that. So it's sort of the same for a memoirist. If you're making things up, I mean, it's one thing to misremember. But you know, James Fry didn't misremember and think he'd uh, he'd gone to jail when he hadn't. You know the the two cups of tea guy didn't misremember and think he'd been kidnapped by the Taliban. He, he didn't misremember that. He made that up in, in order to trick people. So, um, so on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, uh, it is subjective and it's much more corrupt in terms of because memory and imagination do inform each other. Um, I mean, I send my manuscripts out to everybody who's in them so they can, they can correct things, and I'm astonished that nobody ever corrects anything. I mean, that's the weird thing to me. And, again, I don't think it's because my memory is so good. I think it's because I write with always, I think there's a question mark hanging over my writing, uh, kind of every page of it. Like, is this right? Do, do you guys think this? I'm not sure about this. I, I write with a lot of uncertainty, and uh, and I think it's, it becomes clear that I'm feeling for the truth, not issuing it like a historian or journalist is as factual. How does that relate to people that invent their lives, essentially, in a kind of Gatsby-esque way, whose origin stories and, and, and whose experience is to some extent invented in terms of what they put out to the world? 
Well, I mean, I think we all invent ourselves. I think we all remember through a filter of self, right? You, and it's sort of like, you know, when you're, when you're in the eighth grade and you're not asked to dance at the dance and you come home and you cry and your, your mother says, you know, you'll look back on this and laugh. She's right because when you look back on it, you don't remember through the eighth grade self. You remember through your adult self who thinks, oh, what a silly thing to cry about. Um, so the people who, I don't know, I mean, in, in my experience, I've met a lot of what I think of as great memoirists, you know, Maya Angelou, uh, Maxine Hong Kingston, um, Tobias and Jeffrey Wolf. Mm-hmm. Day, uh, John Edgar Weidman. Um, so all of those people, Cheryl Strayed, they all seem very curious, you know, like, gee, I wonder what, ha-, you know, like they're, they're really scratching and scratching and scratching to get at the deepest truth they can find. It's not, um, so I always tell people, you know, don't write a memoir about your divorce in the middle of your divorce. You know, I mean, if you have a definite idea, you know exactly what happened and you've been wronged and you're writing this memoir to set the record straight, probably won't be a great book, except for you. Right. It'd be interesting to see that book and then somebody writing the same book 15 years later and the extent to which they line up or don't line up. Well, I mean, I I certainly know that if I rewrote the Liars Club now, I would I would be nicer to myself than I was uh, 20 years ago when it came out. I mean, the and I'd probably be harsher on my family. I and and that's because I'm a different person now. And whether that means I'm a bigger bitch or or uh, I have more empathy for my child self, I I can't really say. But I I couldn't really. It's not that I made anything up in the book. I didn't, but I would put in other things that I didn't put in. Not because I was trying to conceal them, but I just wasn't thinking of them. I I don't know. You know, each book is a description of a self at a point in time. So it is true that that self changes and grows. And I just know that we all have a public self and a private self. And in, in my, you know, very solitary, bizarre experience that the smaller that gap has gotten between who I think I am and who I say I am, uh, kind of the happier I've been. I'm less, you're less anxious, I think. And does writing, does writing memoir help bring those two things into sharper focus together? I, I think it does. I mean, I, I was also in therapy for 20 years before I wrote my first memoir. I'm a big fan of mental health professionals and codependent teachers and you know, self-help groups and other help groups. And, you know, <laughs> I just sort of, you know, uh, I think, I think again, if you have a big interior life, you seek out those ways. You know, I was a very depressed, troubled child. You know, I had a suicide attempt when I was a little girl. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I sought out ways to talk about things that haunted me. And I, I felt freer from him. But even so, even despite all the therapy I'd had, I still, I think Jeffrey Wolf has a great line, you know, the truth ambushes you. You're ambushed by the truth. So I think writing a memoir, if you're doing it right, it should be cathartic. There should be stuff you discover that, that you just didn't know about yourself, you know. And on the other side of the equation, for the reader, 
why so popular today? Is it is it partly our our desire for authenticity? What what's going on as you see it? Well, again, I think the other media have gotten so dystopic and mm-hmm. unreal. I mean, think of what the big movies are. You know, Ant Man, Spider Man, <laughs> Supergirl. Uh, you know, the world's blowing up uh, in extravagant ways. You know, aliens invading your zombies, eating your face off. Um, if if that's what you're seeing in other media, where is the country of the real going to be discussed and explored? I think I think art forms rise and fall based on their need in the culture. And I think as other media have gotten more unreal, people who are thirsty for the real start to imbibe memoir. And that brings us back kind of to where we started in a way. I mean, is is that what people are trying to do, even in the small, not very thoughtful way, as, as you were saying at the outset, in terms of social media, in putting putting themselves out there to the extent that they do, even if it's only for the moment? No. I think they're trying to represent themselves in the world in a certain mm-hmm. way and connect with other people. Um in, in a much, it's a much shallower exchange. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a moment in time. It's a, it's a wave across the cocktail party. It's not, you know, cracking open your rib cage and showing the intricacies of your, you know, wounded and beating heart. You know, I think it's a, it's a very different, I think it's a very different thing. So, but I do think, you know, I do think we've gotten lonelier and more alienated as a culture, despite social media, you know, just think of it, think, think of how, say, we're, I was born in the 50s, think of, you know, everybody, I lived in the same house, you know, people were not so mobile, people didn't go away to school, uh, you know, they often lived and died in the same town, uh, so yeah, I mean we're we're much more mobile culture. We're much more far flung, uh, and we don't we aren't in touch with our past as much. You can lop yourself off. So I think I think that we are a you know lonelier culture in some ways. We don't all go to mass or temple together. You know the people church attendance doesn't happen anymore. So if you think of the ways uh, communities are made. Um, that's, you know, we have these virtual communities in lieu of living in the same town for 60 years. Well, that's got to be a kind of shallower set of connections, don't you think? Yes. And, and, and you're not, you know, don't, you know, you're not going to each other's christenings, weddings, funerals. You're not seeing those same people at all, all those events over, you know, 70 year period. It's also at the same time an argument for a more valuable and a richer inner life in response to that, perhaps. I hope so. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hope so. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. Um, uh, what, what is a more, what is an argument for a larger inner life? This sense of, of loneliness, this sense of disconnection from, from a larger community. It, it does, the, the reaction to that would, would be arguably more turning inward. You would think so. But I, I, in some ways, I guess my sense of that is that it's not true. But um, maybe it's just because the surface of the world is so shiny and mobile and flashy. And, and uh, I mean, whatever you can know about the human heart from watching a great movie, I, there's something about reading a book and the intimacy of that experience um, that 
to me, feels like a deeper thing than sitting through a two-hour movie. I mean, I think Anna Karenina, the two-hour movie, is a less uh, <laughs> profound experience for me. I only watched it once, but I've read the book probably eight times, you know. Mary Carr, her newest is The Art of Memoir. Mary, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.